Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Everyone read it with me. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Father, we pray that you'll take this word today, put it deep in our hearts, and help us, Heavenly Father, to glean from it and let it be planted in us like good good seed and good soil, and then cause it to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Turn to somebody and say, Merry Christmas. It's a good day. It's a good day. Isn't God good? <clears throat> Come on, isn't God good? Turn to your neighbor and say, God's good. All right. All right. Man, I just have so much to thank God for. Did, did, did we talk to Jake? Is it all right to share his story or not? We haven't talked to him. Okay, we'll tell it later then. So we just have a praise report that we want to give, but we want to make sure everybody's on board with it before we do, because it is a doozy, and you're going you're gonna to go through the roof when you hear it. But God is good, and he hears and answers prayer. How, how many believe that? So in Matthew verse two, I mean chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, we, we read, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 6 through 20, it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those in whom or on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem, and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. When we read these passages of scripture, both of them, what we do, what we see here is what we've come to know as the nativity. 
And you can see nativity scenes everywhere. As you see up on this, well, I don't know if it, I thought it was going to be a picture up there. But it, 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 there, a nativity scene, you could go to anybody's house here almost and probably find a nativity scene. Go to many stores, you can find a nativity scene. And what the nativity scene is, it's the, the, it's the picture version of what happened at the birth and around the young age, the young age of the child Jesus. That's literally what the word nativity means. It means to arise in birth. It, it, it is all about the birth of Jesus. And it's important that we take a, just kind of a look at this. I, I just, this year, we, we, you know, sometimes we do Christmas at the movies and things of that nature, but I just felt like this year I just wanted to just kind of take a traditional look at the gospel through the lens of the birth of Jesus. Because we don't realize what a miracle that was. We don't realize that it is just as much a miracle. The incarnation is just as much a miracle as the resurrection is. The incarnation is just as much a miracle as the fact that Jesus arose from a tomb. The incarnation is just as much a miracle as Jesus raising someone from the dead or Jesus uh, 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 healing the sick or Jesus doing whatever it was he did whenever he did it when he walked on the face of this planet. The incarnation itself was equally as miraculous and none of this other would have happened if it hadn't, if this hadn't happened, if this first step, if this first point, if this first thing had not happened. And so you have to realize what did happen when Jesus was born. Now, first, we have to clarify that Jesus' birth was not the beginning of Jesus. So a lot of times we consider Jesus to be the second part of God. Instead of seeing them as a trinity, you're seeing God as a trinity that is expressed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We kind of look at it like Pastor Connor said last week that God was a God of judgment in the Old Testament and then he expressed himself differently. A different part of God came and he was a nice guy. And that's kind of the way sometimes we view this. But this is not how it is at all. God is one. This is why the commandment says, Behold Israel. Behold your Lord your God is one. But we know that he's a trinity because in the beginning he tells us that he is. He shows us that he is. That he is expressed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what we must realize is that Jesus was not beginning at his birth earthly. That's when he first Entered and I, I, I tend to believe that even it wasn't the first time he ever entered the earthly plane. I believe that there are great arguments in the Old Testament for a pre-incarnate Jesus. Because there are many times when, when the, the, the people of God were experiencing some expression of God and they would say, the Lord. They wouldn't say an angel. They would say the Lord. And I believe that that was a pre-incarnate expression of God through his son Jesus. And, and, and now Jesus is coming to the earth, but he's got to come to the earth in a certain way. But you have to understand, this is not the beginning of Jesus. The beginning of Jesus was in the, at the beginning of time, before time, because God was before everything. He created everything. The Bible says that he is our creator. It goes on to say in Colossians that he is our sustainer. So when Jesus was born, it wasn't his beginning. It was a beginning or entrance into the earthly realm so that he could become like us. It's what theologians call a hypostasis or a hypostatic union, meaning all God, all man embodied in one human, Jesus Christ. 
And we have to understand that that is who God is. That is who Jesus is. He is all God, all man. He isn't part God, part man. He isn't a man God. He is all God, all man, encapsulated in one person, Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus didn't begin at the virgin birth because it says in John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made, but in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shone in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. And then it goes on in the 14th verse of the first chapter of John, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as we beheld Him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here's what he's saying to us. God unbosomed Himself of His Son and deposited Him into human form on this planet. Now, first we have to recognize how humiliating that must have been. You've seen us, right? I mean, come on. We're not perfect. We've got problems. We're very small. And in the eyes of God, we must be minute. I mean, think of the smallest ant you can possibly think of. And then think of yourself in comparison to that ant. And that analogy isn't even a great enough contrast to say how much greater, bigger, imminent, amazing God is as compared to humanity. But he loved us so much that he had to institute a plan to bring us back in relationship with him. And here's how he did it. He said, I'm going to take my son and I'm going to give him. Now, I don't know. I think, I know we appreciate it. I know we love it. I know we celebrate it. But I think sometimes we don't get it. I think sometimes we don't understand cosmically how that must have been so hard to do. If it's hard for us as humans to think for one minute that we would give our own child. I mean, it's that picture, that analogy of Abraham on the mountain placing his son. And by the way, his son was not a seven-year-old that we so, hard, so many times believe. He was more like somewhere between 16 and 30. So his sacrifice wasn't just his dad forcing him down on the altar. It was his choice to lay down. And he laid down, and this is a picture or an image of Jesus and what God did and what Jesus was going to do. Even in that setting with Abraham and Isaac on that mountain, you can see Golgotha from where he sacrificed Abraham. I mean Isaac. And even in that picture of going into sacrificing his son, God was prophesying to us what he was going to do. Because when he went up the mountain and he spoke to the people that went with him, he had the fire, he had the wood, he had the son, but he did not have the sacrifice. And he looked over at those people that came with him and he said, we will come back down. He was prophesying that he knew that if God really did want him to sacrifice his son, that if he took his son from him because of the promises that he had made, he would re resurrect him on that mountain and give him back to him. He knew it. And so he walked up that mountain. He traversed up that mountain with his son. His son, was Abraham, Isaac, was like, Hey, Dad, I've been noticing something. I, I, I know you got the wood, you got the knife, you got the stuff, the fire, and you got the stuff to make the altar, but we don't have a sacrifice. <laughs> that, that was a moment of truth. 
And Abraham says something so profound. He looks at Isaac and he says, God will provide himself a lamb. He says, a lamb. But when they got to the top of the mountain and he puts Isaac down, and he lays him down on the altar and he's about to sacrifice him. He pulls the knife back. He's going through with this because God told him to do it. And the angel says, stop, and almost rebukes him like, how dare you touch this child? And Abraham at this point is like, what? I don't get you, God. What is going on here? I don't understand. And he looks over in the thicket, and he sees a ram, not a lamb. And they take the ram, and they put the ram on that altar, and they sacrifice that ram on that altar in place of Isaac, and, and all the way down the mountain, he celebrates and worships God because God resurrected his son back to him. And he showed God, God, you're more important to me than anything else in my life. But then what was the prophecy about when he said God will provide himself a lamb? It was about this. Because we know Jesus as the lion and the lamb. We know that in Jewish culture and Jewish religious practice, they sacrificed perfect, spotless lambs. And Jesus personifies in human form perfect, spotless sacrifice. Perfect human, no sin. Tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. But in order for him to walk through that life and get to that point where he can lay it down on that altar of sacrifice to God. Where he received the punishment we should have received. Where he received the, the, the judgment that we should receive. Where he took that upon himself. In order for that to happen and in order for him to go from dead to in a, gr a grave and to out of the grave resurrected. For that to happen there had to be a beginning. He had to live a life. He had to preach a message. He had to get the word out. And in order for all that to happen, he had to be born. He had to be like us. And so he entered through the womb of his mother and became the best Christmas present you could possibly ever ask for. God gifted himself to you. God gifted himself to me. I read a story this week that I thought was very interesting. A violinist played for 45 minutes in the New York subway. A handful of people stopped, a couple clapped. The violinist raised about $30 in tips. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell. And Joshua Bell is one of the best musicians in the world. And in that subway, Joshua played one of the most intricate pieces ever written with a violin that cost over $3.5 million. Two days before he had played in that subway and earned $30 in tips, Joshua Bell sold out a Boston theater and the seats averaged about $100 a piece. The experiment proved that the extraordinary in an ordinary environment does not shine in so often and is so often overlooked and undervalued. And this, this is exactly why so many people at the time did not accept Jesus as the Messiah.
but were also, it was also the way that God connected with humanity. God sent Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was supposed to be the freedom fighter, the one who was supposed to come in and deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. This Jesus, this one who was supposed to do all of this, they saw in a very different light. They, they thought he would be born in a palace. They thought he would be born as a king. They thought he would be someone with clout and someone with authority and someone with power. But instead, a baby? A, a baby? How many of you have ever got a gift and you were expecting a different gift? Come on. You, you, you know, the other day we were over at our house and Lindley was with us and we're, you know, we buy our presents and we wrap them up and we put them at the tree as we get them. And so Lindley notices she only has one present under there and there are other presents for other people. And she's like, where's the rest? <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. And sometimes that's how life is for us. We are expecting one thing and we get another. We are getting her more presents, by the way. Just don't, some of you are like, you better get her more presents. But listen, sometimes that's how life is. We have this expectation and it comes in this package. And I'm concerned about all of us and, and about humanity in general and, and about this story because, because the truth is sometimes we, God gives us answers and he sends us promises and he brings us harvest. But because it doesn't look the way we thought it should look, it didn't come in the package we thought it should come in, we reject it. And that's what happened with the Jews and with Jesus. When he got older, and he did, they said, they said well, he's just a carpenter. And, and, and it's why they didn't respond except for a very few the way that you would have thought when the Messiah showed up that people would respond. Very few responded the way that you would think they would respond. Why? Because he's this extraordinary thing in a very ordinary package. In what ways and for what reasons was it intentional? See, here's the thing you got to realize about God. God doesn't just do things for their singular purpose, but he does them in a way that's specific also for that same purpose. I want you to, I want you to get this with me, if you will. I want, I want you to understand that God does things that are directly an answer to prophecy or an answer to prayer, but he does them in a way that also relates to that answer and helps us to further understand what he wants us to do or what he wants us to see. So in what ways or for what reasons was God so intentional in this situation? Well, where he was born, to whom he was born, when he was born, who visited him when he was born, when he, uh, and who visited him when he was a young boy. It all represents certain aspects of the gospel. It shows all of humanity that God was doing something to help all of us. Uh, we sinners, because of sin, have been disconnected from God, and God sent his son as a present to us to give us not only his life, but to give us his message before he gave us his life, so that when we hear his message and receive him in faith as our sacrifice and know that he raised again from the dead, we will not just follow him, but we will follow him and share his message with every single person around us. 
Because we realize it's that real. We realize that it's that big a deal. We realize that it's that significant. We realize it. It's about eternity. It's not about temporal things. It's about what happens when this life is over. It's about, it's about this idea that we don't like to think about very often and don't think about very often. That, that time after you take your last breath. And sometimes I think we as a church and we as people in general need to stop just looking at what's right in front of us as if it's a game and understand that there is an eternity. And let me be clear with you that once you leave this temporal place and you enter into eternity, all decisions have been made. No more opportunity for decisions to be made. So Jesus, God himself sending his son, is screaming to the world, time to make a decision. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 through 13. Remember the former things, those of long ago. This is, this is I'm showing you how God was so intentional. So this is Isaiah the prophet in, in the book of Isaiah showing us how intentional God, God is. Isaiah 46, 9 through 13. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far-off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. He's saying, I'm bringing salvation to you. He's purposefully planned this. Did you know the Bible says that God planned this before the beginning or the foundations of the world? He knew he was going to create man. He knew man had, he was going to give man free will because how can you worship and love someone if you don't have a choice whether as to worship or love them? So he gave us free will and he knew that with free will we'd have the propensity to fail. We'd have the propensity to, to, to do our own thing instead of doing his thing. And so he said, even before he created the earth and all that are in it, he made a plan of redemption in the event that man did what they were capable or had the propensity to do. So he knows the end from the beginning. So he planned and spoke into existence a plan that was intentional to not only save us, but to teach us about that salvation and to give us this vision to give this to other people. So specific detailed prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus. Now, uh, pa pa Pastor Connor last week talked about the, 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 the enormity of the odds that over 300 predictions in the Old Testament could predict the Messiah that would come true in one person. Yet that is what has happened with Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of 300 different predictions in the Old Testament. Now, you can't argue with that. And I'll show you just three of them. Micah predicted Jesus' birth in Bethlehem about 700 years before it happened. 
Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old and from ancient times. He's saying the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. The, uh, Isaiah said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Jeremiah foretold of a time because of Christ's birth, many children would be slaughtered. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15, This is what the Lord says, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And Hosea revealed that Mary and Joseph would have to go to Egypt to save Jesus' life. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. All of these scriptures were prophesied five to seven hundred years before they happened. And what they reveal is that not only was Jesus' birth a historical fact, but they also reveal a prophetic prediction which odds are impossible outside of a miraculous intervention. So, so we look at Christ's birth. What did it, what, what, why did it happen in the way that it happened? God was obviously providing humanity a Savior, but in a specific way, so that we know what he was doing. But why did he do it the way that he did? Rabbi Harold Kushner says this, our souls are not hungry for fame, comfort, wealth, or power. Our souls are hungry for meaning, for the sense that we have figured out how to live so that our lives matter, so that the world will be at least a little bit different for our having passed through it. God does all things with purpose. He, he doesn't just do things. But he does things with purpose. Every layer of his will, every layer has meaning and purpose and reason. So why shepherds? Why angels? Why wise men or scholars? And why that location? When we know why, then what makes a lot more sense. You know, it's been said that even the, even the way that Jesus was born, that, that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths, that cloth, that type of cloth was the same cloth that you would put on a torch at night if you were trying to walk through the streets and have light you would put it on the torch so even in that dressing for Jesus it was a it was a symbol of who he was to become the light of the world the light that would light your pathway uh, even in in all of the the symbols of who he is the 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 the, um, the gifts that were brought by the wise men myrrh uh, myrrh was was a, it was what you embalmed people with. So for his, it was this very, very expensive uh, uh, aromatic perfume, but it was what they used to embalm. So even in Jesus' birth, they were prophesying his death. He's the light of the world that will die for the world. And then they brought him gold and frankincense, or frankincense was the embalming fluid. They brought him, they brought him gold, and gold is what? It's a gift for a king. So even in the gifts that they brought, even in the clothes that he wore, even in the, 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 where he was born and what he was born, God was saying, he is the light of the world. He will die for the world. He is a king of all kings. God is expressing through not only what he did, but why he did it to get us to understand there's more to the story than we realize 
So two reasons why. Number one, because he was providing redemption for all mankind and he needed us to understand. Two, he was trying to help everyone who is redeemed to carry this message of redemption to everyone else who does not know who Jesus is. I think a lot of times we do things because they're, we, we do things for more than one reason. How many of you in disciplining your children, you have found that to be true? That you, you, you've got several objectives in, in what you're trying to teach and train them. And I remember there was a, Janae one time was the oversight to a Christian school in Oklahoma City. And the school had about 250 kids, and it was a great school, and they had a lot of fun. And there were some really good kids in there, but ornery kids. You know what I'm saying? Those kids that always getting in trouble, always. And so I was the spiritual uh, oversight to the school. And so one day I got this call from Janae. And Janae's the principal, and she calls me up, and she says, you've got to do something. These crazy boys, have, have, they're, they're, they're being so stupid. It was, it was uh, um, what, what, what is it? Um, what is that deal where you pull pranks? What's that holiday we pull pranks on each other? April Fool's. Yeah, it was April Fool's. I couldn't remember. It's April. I've turned 55 this week, y'all. I just don't remember stuff. So uh, I couldn't remember that. But it was April Fool's. And these boys were doing the stupidest prank you can imagine. They were secretly getting other students and teachers' keys taking their cars and hiding them behind a barn we had on the property. So then they would come out, and their cars were just gone. And Janae said, David, we've got cars missing, and I think I know who's doing it. And, and, and it's these two boys, and they're always getting in trouble, and they're always doing things that they're, they're just making a mess of stuff. Everybody's upset. Everybody, it's not funny anymore. How many know when pranks go too far, they just start, they're just annoying. They're not funny. And, and so it was at that point. So I got this great idea. Why not prank the pranksters? And so, I don't know how, it was divine, y'all. I'm telling you, God put this in my spirit. I'm telling you, this was like God's judgment on those boys. Anyway, I, I called their parents first so I wouldn't get sued. And um, I called their parents and I said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. And then I did it. So, I said, call them up to the office and tell them I'm on my way down. And so, they, they get called up to the office, and they're on their way up to the office, and I see them going in the doors of the office, and I'm coming around the corner from up our church building down to our, uh, our school facility, and I come around the corner, and I see them going in, so I know they're going to see me out of the corner of their eye and hear me. I'm flying down that road, and I slam on the brakes, and I, leave, and I jump out of the car and leave the car door open and just start walking in. I mean, they are freaking out. They scattered up the stairs and went up to the office and waiting on me there, and I got up in the office. And so I, I waited and I put one of them outside and one of them inside the office so they could hear in the outside what was about to happen on the inside. And so I sat down and I said, what's your problem, man? I said, you, I said, man, you're not a bad kid, but you're always causing trouble. Your parents are always getting called on you. This is ridiculous. I'm sick and tired of it. And I mean, I was going off. And I'm, I said, I'm done. I am done. You know what? I'm calling your dad right now. We're going to put him on speakerphone. And he's like, man, don't call my dad. He said, we just playing with you. No, I'm calling him, and we're putting him on speakerphone. We'll figure this out right now. And he said, man, don't call my dad. Pick up the phone. I, I, I picked up my ear. I didn't put on speakerphone yet. I said, hey, is this Jimmy? He said, yeah, it's Jimmy. I said, man, your son, and I, there's nobody on the phone. I said, man, your son is out of control. He's always causing trouble. I can't believe it. He said, man, just, I'll be there in a second. I said, all right, come on up. Click. The guy on the outside, he can hear what's going on the inside. He knows he's next. 
tears are running down his face. These are high school boys, y'all. He's crying. Some of y'all look at me like, you are mean and hateful. Whatever. So, so, so the other boy comes in. Literally, he's shaking. And I make the other kids stay there and, and listen to him. I say, I'm calling your dad, too. So I call same thing. And I get them roared up. Literally, they're both, they're both upset. They're both crying. Man, we didn't mean to do it. We're sorry. I said, these are expensive things. You could have wrecked these things. This could have cost somebody a lot of money. What are you thinking? This is, and I just go off. And I said, your parents are going to be here in a minute. Let me tell you something. You're suspended for this. You're not coming back to school for at least a month. We are tired of putting up with you. And then I just stopped mid-sentence and said, April Fools, and walked out. Just walked out. They fell over in the floor, dying, laughing, crying, kind of crying, laughing, you know. It was like, thank God my dad's not coming. It was so funny, but I did it for two reasons. Here's what I did it for. The first reason is I wanted to make the point to them that we love you guys, but you need to stop being so silly. You're, you're going you're gonna to do something that goes too far. And so I sent that message to them. But the other message I sent to the rest of the school population, don't be stupid like that. And see, what God is doing when he sends us the message of the gospel through the birth of Jesus, he is saying to us, I'm sending you this message, message to redeem you. But also, I'm wanting you to understand, I'm, I'm doing it in this way so that you'll get an understanding of it and share it with someone else. God always has layers of meaning in what he says and does, and he always has layers of assignments in what he says and does. And he expects us to hear and to obey because we're disciples. We're not just cultural Christians. We're disciples. We're people who have made a commitment to hear the call of God and say, I will follow. I will commit my life to you. So to help them see why we should understand it and why we should share it. We should consider why God sent Jesus. Why shepherds? Well, we can't help but realize that the importance of the shepherd in the Bible and how many of the great men that God called began in the humble, common vocation of shepherds. Shepherds at the bottom of the rung when it came to the class of society. They were common. They were low. They weren't Somebody that was expected to be high. So God was sending us a message. Jesus is humble. He's meek. He, although he's the most powerful being in the world, he doesn't exercise his wrath. He, he is meek and lowly. He has the power to destroy. He has the power to do things. But he holds that. He restrains himself. He's humble. He's meek. He's like a shepherd. He's like a shepherd. And, and who do we know was a shepherd? Moses was a shepherd. Who do we know was a shepherd? Abraham was a shepherd. Who do we know was a shepherd? David was a shepherd. It seems as if God's saying the training for leadership is shepherding. It seems like God is saying if you're going to be a profound leader, you have to first understand the nature of a shepherd. And so God is showing us through bringing shepherds into the story that Jesus is the great 
shepherd. And even though Jesus' occupation was carpenter, they called him the great shepherd. It's where we get the word pastor from, the word shepherd. And so we need to understand that Jesus had this nature of a shepherd. He had this nature of one who loves and cares for and, and, and encourages and lifts and strengthens and corrects and rebukes and holds fast and protects and provides and feeds. This is who he is. And to reveal that Jesus came for everyone. Because if they're the lowest class, if they're the bottom rung, and Jesus is sent through. Did you know Mary and Joseph, when they gave the sacrifice for Jesus' circumcision, they, they, they sacrificed doves. That was the, the sacrifice that common uh, impoverished people made. They didn't sacrifice a lamb. They didn't sacrifice a goat. They didn't sacrifice a cow. They sacrificed a dove. That was the, the, the sacrifice for people who were impoverished. These weren't rich people. The Bible even goes as far as to say that Jesus came and became poor so that we might be made rich. And there are spiritual and physical connotations to that. He came to reveal the nature of the relationship between God and man. That, 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 that our God treats us as his sheep, and he is our shepherd. Because they would spread the word to the community. What happened? The angels came. Now, why were they so shocked at the angels? And it said they were terrified. Why were they terrified? Because you have to understand, for 400 years, God had not spoken to his people. There was an intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God had not said a word. There'd been no miracles done. There'd been no supernatural occurrences. There'd been nothing. So you're just... You're just out on the pasture, just watching your sheep, and all of a sudden, an angel appears. Let me tell you something. That might scare you just a little bit. And it did scare them. And then he said, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And he was saying to them, he was coming to them because there's an assumption on people who are lower or more common or impoverished that they're left out, that they're not a part of the plan, that they are ignored in society. But God was saying to us, I came for the very wealthy and the high, but I also came for the very impoverished and the low. And he entered in through that place to let the world know I'm here for all. Why angels? Well, to connect the spiritual with the natural. After all, Jesus was all man and all God in one person. He made that hypostatic union and he became this perfect spotless lamb for the purpose of sacrifice. And in the intertestinal period, because there wasn't that connection spiritually to mankind, God sent messengers that were spiritual ministers, angels, to let people know it's coming. He sent Gabriel to Zechariah. He sent Gabriel to Mary. He sent Gabriel and the angels to the shepherds. Why? Because he's saying, I'm open in heaven again. I'm interacting with you again. A new day has dawned. This is why John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God had ripped the, the, the veil already between spiritual and physical and stepped into it to let us know I'm coming for your salvation. Why? Why scholars? Why did these wise men come? And by the way, we see the nativity, so we think everybody showed up at the same time. But the wise men came later, about two years. Jesus would have been about two years old when the wise men came. So the wise men came, and there weren't three wise men. There were three gifts. 
We don't know how many wise men there were, but there were probably a whole caravan. And they had been studying this for ages and prophecies for ages. And they had seen a star that told them, this is now. This is happening now. Get up. Get going. Go find him. And they went to find him. And then Herod, because they came to him and said, do you know where the king is? They thought he'd be happy about it. No, he wasn't happy. He didn't want someone to take his throne. So he said, when you find him, tell me to come. And, and, and they knew he was tricking them, and so they didn't do that. But when they went to Jesus, here's what they did. They fell on their feet. Here's what God is saying. When we're common and lowly, we reach up to Jesus. But when we're wise and, 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 or scholarly and uh, uh, wealthy, we, we humble ourselves to Jesus. Because the first thing they did when they came in and saw that two-year-old sitting on his mom's lap is they hit their knees and began to worship and started getting gifts out. God was saying, I'm proving that what I said years and years and years ago is true. And he was saying, I'm here for the poor. And I'm here for the rich. I'm here for the black and I'm here for the white. I'm here for every race and every ethnicity. I'm here for every person and every situation. I'm here for the old and I'm here for the young. I'm here for any person who needs help or needs comfort or needs salvation. I'm here. I came for you. You can put yourself anywhere in the story and know I am one who Jesus came to help. And then the location. There were several locations that were prophesied in the Old Testament. We're not going to get into all of that. But you heard in the prophecies that they had to go to Egypt because Herod had threatened Jesus' life. And then they came back out of Egypt. And so there's a prophet that said, I had to pull my son out of Egypt. Right? Uh, the, the, there, there was the Bethlehem. And why, did, why was he born in Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem was considered not important. And Jesus, God's showing, I bring the important out of the apparently unimportant. I bring the awesome out of the common. And then Nazareth. Because it was said, no good thing comes out of Nazareth. And Jesus said he was a Nazarene. He just, do you know what the problem is with Jesus? He's just not like us. Well, he came to be like us. Yeah, he came to experience humanity's experience, but he's not like us. He's counter to the culture. Everything about him is different. God did what he did to save mankind. And he did it the way he did to help, making, help us understand it and to empower them to share the message with others. I don't know about you, but just as thankful as I am that Jesus hung on that cross and carried my sin. And just as thankful as I am that he buried those sins in that grave that he rose again from. And just as thankful as I am that he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, I am equally as thankful that he humiliated himself as God and made himself like man so that he could accomplish all of that. And I know this has been a lot about a lot of things, a lot of history around this and a lot of prophecy around this, but I, I went to this detail and I went to this way of communicating this because I want you to know he did all of that. creator became a part of his creation he did all of that the God of all gods the king of all kings became a man 
He did all of that. For you. For your family. For the people that live around you. For your neighbors, for your cousins. For your children, for your grandchildren. And I know we have a lot of traditions around Christmas. God help us that we don't forget what he really did. And you know, I don't think we're really going to realize it and I don't think we're really going to understand it until we actually stand before him in glorified bodies and see who he really is. See him. And then we're going to go, my God, my God. And we're going to join those angels around that throne singing holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb for sinners slain. God did what He did to save mankind, and He did it in the way He did it to help making, help make us understand it, and to empower us to share, to share, to share this message, to follow Him, and then bring others to follow Him. Did you know that God went to such a great lengths for you? Did you realize it? He loves you and He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to lead your life. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to be wisdom in your life. He wants to be your what and your why. My question to you today is, are you ready to give your life to Him after knowing all that He did to give His life? everybody's head bowed and eyes closed and no one looking. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.